2: Before we get to today's episode with Dave Hyde, we're excited to introduce you to our newest partner, which, like us, is Pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all of your favorite Toyota models, whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle. Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. That's 9775. Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral Difference, which means four years of complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. Also, in house financing is available for credit related issues. If you mention five reasons when you call 305 680 1129, that's 305 680 1129, or come into the dealership, you'll work directly with a dedicated manager not a salesperson. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go. And now, today's episode. (laughs) Welcome into the latest episode of the 5 Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you've found us, make sure that you hit the subscribe or follow button on whatever platform you're on. You'll get all of the old episodes and all of the new episodes as soon as they post. All right, one of the topics that we've wanted to hit for a long time is... Who is the most influential athlete in South Florida history? We've ruled out a bunch of guys. Harold Miner, Smush Parker, uh, <laughs> the great Ernest Wilford has been eliminated here, um, and, and some of the others. Um, certainly Heath Bell, not going to get a mention, although he was influential in, in some ways, I guess.
0: <laughs> I, like, but, I like to do a podcast that was just naming the players who aren't going to be on the list. And it's just uh, yes. us naming names for 40 <laughs> minutes.
2: Yes uh there could be uh there there is there are some current dolphins and heat players probably not going to make the list either but we I do want to I was fl-
3: going to say you just go through the roster of this millennium and uh yeah. that that'd be about do it for a lot of these teams
2: <laughs> well it, it well it, when the uh, 30- david boston David Boston is a good one. When a 36-year-old comes back and he's immediately the number one athlete in the market again um, at the tail end of his career, it tells you a little bit of something about where we are. But the guy we decided to bring on for this particular podcast, um, and it's not just because you're old, Hyde. Um, its because I know what you,
3: it is. You can say I'm old. I am old. I, I embrace my elderly status. <laughs> we, we,
2: we brought on Dave Hyde. He's been covering sports in South Florida since 1985. Um, went to the Sun Sentinel in 1990. He's been the lead columnist there. For a long time. He's covered um, all of the recent championships, the two Marlins championships, of course, the only two times that they made the playoffs, the Panthers' run in 96, the Dolphins' playoff games, as far and few between as they've been, and also the Heat's three titles, the Hurricanes' great era. So, what we're going to do with you, Dave, um, we're going to wait to plug your book until we get to the Hurricanes section because we think that's the appropriate place for it. Uh, we're going to try to break this down. Based on the different teams. So we're going to we're going to pick one guy from each of these teams. i also put this on the polls at five reasons sports. I let people vote. You can continue to do that. And then when we get to the very end, we'll try to pick one. So let's start here with part one with the heat. And here are the four names that I put up there. And it was pretty easy actually to come up uh, with these names because the heat have had a, a pretty great history over the past 20 years. This is just players guys. This is not executives or coaches or uh, in the case of Riley being both or, or, or owners like Mickey Harrison, the four names that I put on this list, LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Shaquille O'Neal and Alonzo morning. So let's start here with you, Dave, who would be your choice of those four?
3: Hands down, no problem, Dwayne Wade. I mean, uh, the quick, obvious um, campaign for Wade here would be longevity, three titles. Um, He bridged the two championship eras from Shaq to the big three with LeBron. Um, Obviously, LeBron's the best player to have worn a Heat jersey, but Wade, for what to me are obvious reasons, is, is... Wins this award without uh, much argument. I'm
0: I'm in the I'm in the sort of agreement with you, Dave. But for me, there's there obviously given Ethan's list, we should kind of run through the other candidates. For me, the the most compelling case is for LeBron James because LeBron James, for me, totally transformed this market. There's sort of a bigger sort of designation that comes with influential and you know when Dwayne Wade and the the 06 Heat won the championship they were obviously a massive story and people were really into them but I don't feel like from Alonzo Morning's 1990s teams to the Shaq Wade heat For me, the Big Three Heat were just on a total another stratosphere, and Dwayne Wade is a commonality between the early 2000s Heat and the and the Big Three Heat. And the major difference is LeBron James, because LeBron James is just such a cult of personality, is such a larger than life figure that because the Heat were the center of the basketball universe in some respects, the sporting universe, they sort of. Transformed this market into a, a city that's way more into sports, and transcended the heat from a a team that basketball fans were into to a team that sports fans. And even non-sports fans were into, like, they kind of passed the mom test. Or your mom, wait, so what's going on with the Heat, and and what are they doing? Like, there was such a big story that you couldn't help but avoid what the Heat were in those times. And that, for me, is singularly down to LeBron James. So if we're talking about the legacy of the growth of basketball in this city— I don't think that there is a, 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 obviously Dwayne Wade plays a huge role but in terms of that transformation I think LeBron James is more responsible for it than Dwayne is.
3: You could you know Shaq uh in at his moment too from uh you know because until that time the the Heat hadn't won a title so you you could argue you know you know for those for that short window when Shaq of 2 years really when Shaq was riding high then then he wins the title and he kind of like said okay I'm done but um you know they, to me Wade playing with Shaq growing up with Shaq really and and having his star rise at that time and and having it remain ascendant right through the big 3 um I, and and I agree look, look we won't have another era because of the LeBron and the big 3 but um uh, you know, I, I just have to go with Wade in this.
2: All four of these guys uh, served a different purpose for the Heat. I, I think that the Zoe acquisition made the Heat a viable basketball franchise. Um, that was the first big move that Pat Riley made, and he had to give up a good piece and Glenn Rice to do it. But that took them from a team that was kind of wandering um, a little bit and, you know, needed you know, a core player uh, to a team that was a competitive 60 win type team. Now they kept running up against the Knicks and they kept losing and it was really more of a regional story. And, you know, Shaq was, you know, making them a national team which had was not really the case uh with the the zoe tim dan morley pj brown teams and lebron was making them an international sensation and a team like none that we've ever really seen before I, I think the reason you give it to Dwayne is a longevity which is something that uh that he has over the others even then zoe because of zoe getting sick obviously and that changed the dynamic of his career um but also as you said he bridges both eras so it's the shack era and it's the LeBron era. He was part of both. He's also, um, you know, become an international icon on Miami's watch. You know, LeBron was an international icon beforehand. Shaq was an international icon beforehand. And with Dwayne, we saw him grow up, you know, from a guy who was shy, didn't really say a lot uh, his first year to somebody, you know, who all of a sudden is selling wine and <laughs> has, you know, is is the premier Chinese, you know, Uh, shoe salesman and all the rest of the things that Dwayne does these days. So I have got to give it to Dwayne. I don't know that it would have mattered whether he came back or not in terms of it being him. Um, But, you know, also the way that LeBron left, the way that Shaq left um, you know, I know the way that Dwayne left the, the, you know, the first time around was not ideal, neither was Zoe's, but I think with Shaq and LeBron, the fact that there was no opportunity to come back, whereas there was an opportunity with Zoe and Wade to come back, I think elevates Dwayne um, above those guys. Now I know Chris, you, you tend to be the Wade contrarian here a little bit, <laughs> uh- so I, I guess I, you're going with Dwayne, though, right? Yes. Like the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. You're, you're you're going with Dwayne. I, what would it have taken for it to be LeBron, Chris? Like if um yeah if, if, if he, he stayed for four more years.
0: Yeah. Yeah. If he stayed, maybe won another title or two. But again, th- those all would have been with Dwayne. So Dwayne, in the end, because he was there longer and because he would have done at the very least an equal amount of winning to LeBron, like it's just a totally different, you know, watching someone get drafted and grow up and then win a championship in year three and then be the bedrock of the franchise. Like it's just going to be hard to eclipse that for anyone going forward.
3: Dave, do you have? Yeah, one I guess uh, not one, not two, not three. If if he'd got to eight, I think it would have been LeBron. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, he, so he went not four, not five, not six, not seven. Yes, yeah, so it would have it would have taken eight in order for
2: him to have delivered on that promise. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, Dave, do you have one uh, Dwayne story that sticks out to you the most?
3: Great thing about Dwayne is because he grew up here and became a star here, and and. As as a sports writer, anybody who gets some age on them, all they they're much more mature to talk to, and much more. Dwayne inter- will say anything now. Anything that's on his mind, he will. He has no problem talking about in complete honesty and and forthcoming and directness. And he's 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 very. He, he went from almost a, you know, you, you. I remember when he first came in as a rookie. You know, like most rookies, a little. Uh, I don't want to say gun shy because he was never shy or anything like that, but certainly his developed thoughts uh, um, have have come of age, um, you know, the the last, uh, what, seven or eight years where, where he's really become a really interesting and fascinating personality.
2: Yeah, he has, and he's gotten much more socially active, which I think early in his career was something he wasn't comfortable with. I, I think a couple of people had big effects on him in that way. I, I think, you know, again, we denigrate Shaq at times, but um, Shaq transformed Dwayne personally. Like, uh, you, you talk about him being shy, some of it we didn't love at the time. Um, some of the stuff that Dwayne followed Shaq on during that period of time, but uh, but certainly Shaq had a big effect, I think, as far as sort of making Dwayne aware of the endorsement portfolio and the need to get out there. And, uh, you know, you go to the T-Mobile ads and a lot of the stuff that Dwayne did. And then I think actually LeBron, from a social consciousness standpoint, you know, they, they did the Trayvon Martin photo together. Um, they did a lot of things together during that period of time. And I think as we see the things that LeBron is doing now, I mean, as we're taping this, he opened a school in Akron today. I, I think uh, a lot of that stuff uh, that Dwayne developed, you know, LeBron had an impact on that so we're all going with Dwayne I can tell you that our our uh, followers on five reasons sports went with Dwayne about 91 percent uh, the second on there was actually Zoe and I think that's because people are bitter about Shaq and LeBron they got two percent combined and Shaq didn't get anything so I, I think that's 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 the <laughs> they, big they reason forgotten, for they've forgotten Zoe leaving for New Jersey uh, uh yeah just, you know time heals all wounds quickly. And trash, yeah. <laughs> trash, trashing Mickey Harrison at a press conference. You remember that? That was at Zoe's Summer Groove. Um, I forgot the exact <laughs> year. It might have been like 2002. But, and that was after Mickey actually sent a plane uh, so so Zoe could come back from the Olympics to see the birth of his child. So that, that's been forgotten. All of that has been patched up. Uh, but the Shaq stuff, even with retiring the jersey, has not completely been patched up. All right, let's move on to part two here. And what was interesting to me about this was I had no problem putting four names on a poll for the Heat little more difficulty uh, with the Dolphins. Um, Dan Marino's winning the poll, going away. No surprise about that. Just curious for your thoughts here on who should be number two on that list for the Dolphins.
3: Well, I think it has to be Larry Zonka. He, he was the face, and really the rugged face. The, uh, you look at his nose, it was broken so many times. Uh, it started when he was a kid, actually, milking cows in Stowe, Ohio. He got kicked by a or a cow brought its uh, snout right up into his nose and and broke it and from that moment on it was almost like a paper mache nose and and uh, um, one of the great things when he got his Hall of Fame bust was uh, talking to the um, guy who who sculpted it about how to make the nose so um, just his style and his personality made him the identity of that franchise above the other players but You know, on that team, they had a half dozen Hall of Famers. Whereas with Marino, um, for the most part, he lifted that franchise. You know, I don't want to say by himself, but certainly his arm um, and and his style of play was electric in a way that uh, really nobody on the 72 team individually was.
0: Before we carry on with Dave Hyde, I want to tell you about an event that's coming to South Florida that's going to be really cool. It is the second edition of Moss Miami, which features Dan Lebetart and Boppy for a night of music art and sports with a domino tournament thrown in there as well. It's this Saturday at Revolution Live and Stash in Fort Lauderdale. It's music made by Miami as local bands Jacuzzi Boys, Magic City Hippies, Cannibal Kids, and Domavic will be performing at Revolution Live. Live art will also be performed by Diana Contreras and Sona. Plus at Stash, Poppy's Domino Tournament returns and it will be happening along with a live performance by local band Tamboka. Part of the proceeds will be going to Bullies and Beyond Rescue and the Ron McGee. Gill Conservation Endowment. I'm sure you enjoy his weekly segment on the Lebitard Show so you can benefit his charity work as well. You can get tickets by logging on to LebetardBrothers.com. That's lebitardbrothers.com They're also all across social at Lebitard Brothers as well. Join Dan and Poppy this Saturday for Moss Miami Volume 2. Again, get your tickets at lebitardbrothers.com That's at Revolution Live and Stash in Fort Lauderdale. Now, back to the podcast. When you look at this sort of modern era of the Dolphins in the last 20 years. I I do think that there are obviously two players you'd have to consider for me. And and they're Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas. I, I was, I've been on the radio with Channing Crowder recently on, on WQAM and we do the Miami Dolphins pregame show together. And, He's been telling me stories about what, what what Zach Thomas has been in that meeting room, in that locker room, and sort of as a figure. And he told me a great story about how he was told to do something in the middle of a game and... Channing then went after the game or in a sort of a, in, in a ensuing in field of film session and said, well, why, why, what, what did you see? What, like, why, why did you tell me to to blitz this gap or whatever the case may be? And Zach said, I, I, I went against this guy in 1999 when he was the offensive coordinator in Kansas city. And whenever his tight end motion across the formation, that meant that they were running to that side at almost a hundred percent of the time. And he knew it sort of instinctually in the game that that was the right thing to tell. Someone else to do, and so I do think that there is sort of that anecdotal uh, sort of version of a, an incredible player and a legendary player, and like Peyton Manning is some of that stuff. And I think his legend was built by Omaha and all the audibles and all this stuff. That stuff happens on defense too. I think Zach was uh, sort of and in, in, just on another level to everyone else. And yet, because Jason Taylor has that sack figure that he's one of the all-time leaders in NFL history in sacks that's why he was a first ballot hall of famer and there was just nothing that tangible for Zach Thomas to have so I think Jason Taylor is kind of the bigger figure of this time but
2: obviously the the, the biggest ever is Dan Marino One of the things that's, you know, surprised me a little bit is how we've separated these guys uh, after retirement, because there's no question in my mind that Jason Taylor is a deserving first ballot Hall of Famer. But it's hard to make the argument that Jason Taylor is a deserving first ballot Hall of Famer and Zach Thomas is not even considered for the Hall of Fame. But the idea that Zach is not even in this conversation. And again, I'm biased. I loved covering Zach. Um, I love the whole experience of covering Zach, how honest he was. We talk about like Good guys in terms of athletes. The day that Zach Thomas was cut, okay, which was not done in the best way by the Dolphins, um, Zach went about trying to reach reporters who had covered him to make sure they had everything they needed. And and I remember him trying to reach me three or four times that morning to make sure that I didn't miss out on anything that he wanted to say. And it wasn't that he was criticizing the organization; he just wanted to be fair to the guys who had been around. So uh, to me, for the first few years of his career, Dave. Zach was more the face of the franchise than Jason was. And I think it changed a little bit over time. But I think as far as the modern era, you could really make a case for either of them.
3: Yeah, I I agree with you. They're 1 and 1A. And depending on the game or the season or sometimes just the moment, um, I'd have a harder time. Certainly for the first stretch of their career, or, or you know, again, like like you said, look, Zach was a star from his, his first training camp, whereas Jason that took you know three years, probably into year four before you saw the full consistent talent from him. But but I, I guess what separated them to me was when Nick Saban came in and started moving Jason around, and you saw his other some, some skills you hadn't seen get unlocked, and that's when he became the NFL Player of the Year. So. um Look, I get why Jason is w- was the Hall of Famer, but look, if Brian Urlacher's in the Hall of Fame, I, I don't know why Zach isn't. Um, and, and if we're making a big picture of the, of the Dolphins' history, though, you know there have been other guys who were, who have been their best player in their era at their position. Dwight Stevenson at center, um, you know, in the eighty to eighty eight, um, he was considered the best center in the league, and Paul Warfield receiver uh in the Super Bowl years um he was the Randy Moss of that that era that guy who um without without the wild personality but the the flash on the field he was a a game breaker
0: Dave do you have a because obviously Dan Marino is going to win this going away do you have a favorite Dan Marino story
3: well my favorite story is in a loss uh in Detroit um look we saw how many how many great plays how many touchdowns um, you got the spike game. There's a lot of winning moments for Marino, but, um, you know, I, one of those moments he actually cost them the game in Detroit and he stood at his locker and he he, he could be very short with the media at times when he wanted to be, but um, that day you saw how accountable, professional, um, and really he, he, he was, he, he sat there, took question after question, made sure, Went to Harvey Green afterwards. I said I didn't see it. So and so writer, um, make sure that uh, he knows I'm taking blame for this loss. And and it wasn't that he was speaking to the media. Um, a lot of times we're just conduits. He was telling his teammates, "Hey, look, this one's on me. You know, and I'm I'm being I'm going to take full accounting of of this, and I'll make it up for you next time." But um, there you saw the great leader, leadership quality that he had.
2: Yeah, I think he's been lost a little in history, Dave, Um, just overall, because, I, you know, I, we can talk about the numbers. The numbers were insane, especially when you consider the era that he played in when when you could actually hold the receivers. Right. As opposed to now and everything has changed where now you have 70 percent completion percentages. I mean, I, I, I wonder what Dan would have put up these days, But, but I feel like, you know, not. Reaching a second Super Bowl, not winning a Super Bowl, um, that some of his achievements have have kind of been swept under the rug. I think by the general public. Like when I see all-time quarterbacks ranked on NFL Network and other places, he's never where I think he should be. Um, and and I, I think again, it has to do with the whole rings thing. Um, but you know, a lot of it was they just didn't put a defense around him. Many of those years, he never really had a consistent number one back with him. They went through so many different backs. And the unfortunate thing for the Dolphins is, you know, when they got Zach and Jason uh, you know, Dan was at the end. And, and if, if they'd gotten guys like Zach and Jason and Sertan and Madison four years earlier um, you know, I think it would have been a lot different for him I and mean, not to say nothing of Ricky Williams in 2002, you know, it's, he just never had those kind of players, but in our poll, um, a runaway winner here over 90% for Marino Zanka is second, uh, a couple of votes for Jason Taylor, Um, nothing for anybody else. All right, let's move on to part three here. We're going to combine these two because a little bit younger histories. Both came in 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 1993. Um, Neither has had sustained success. (laughs) One of them has won two championships. One got to a Stanley Cup finals, the Panthers and the Marlins. So of those two teams, here's some names that I threw out there, Dave. Um, For the Marlins, Miguel Cabrera, Giancarlo Stanton, uh Gary Sheffield another name that comes up obviously there were guys like Don Trill and Josh Beckett and and others Mike Lowell that they had for the Panthers Luongo was the one name that I came up with first um Pavel Bure John Van Beesbrook was kind of the face of that 96 team that got to the finals and lost to the Avalanche if I put these two teams together who's your pick <laughs>
1: that
3: was my pick uh You know, and and the problem with picking these, look, the the Panthers haven't won since 96. They haven't won a playoff series in uh, 22 years, and the Marlins have such a weird history. But if I'm picking one, it'd be Miguel Cabrera because he did come up as a rookie and helped win the World Series in 2003, and then he was here long enough and was great enough that you saw – it's no surprise what he's gone on done in Detroit, but again – there's such both of them have such a disjointed history. It's hard to come up with one single player really, it should be Roberto Luongo but because he he's here at the front end of his career and now he's 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 playing great at the back end, but they just haven't won they they haven't he hasn't been afforded the the platform and in, in some respects they're sort of like Jason Taylor and Zach Thomas. But uh, even to more of a degree, because it's hockey in South Florida.
0: I'm going to go way off the board. You mentioned the lack of winning. Uh, so, if you know the the you know the Panthers got to the Stanley Cup Finals in '96, the Marlins have won two championships. So, if we're kind of defining it that way, if no one is really here long enough to really establish that legacy with accompanied by sustained winning, then why not pick? Players from the teams that actually won. So I'm actually going to say, and this can be crazy because he wasn't even here that long, uh, that my two favorites for this would be Josh Beckett and Edgar Renteria. Because Edgar Renteria is, is one of the most iconic moments in the history of baseball. It still gets shown uh, whenever they run sort of all time World Series packages. Edgar Renteria hit a game winning single in the final game of the season, in a game seven to win the Marlins their first championship and would have, would have represented outside of the university of Miami, a first Miami sports championship in about 25 years. So I, I do think that he he should be in this conversation just by virtue of that one moment I know one moment's stupid but that that's still him winning a championship for South Florida which they hadn't for a while and then Beckett with you know starting those games in the World Series starting the game six away from home pitching a complete shutdown on 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 that on short rest uh I mean you can sort of you know go back to the uh, maybe Steve Bartman's in this conversation but I, I feel like just by virtue of the limited history that these teams have that no one player was a standout player in the league in a period in which the team had sustained success. I do think that those two players deserve real consideration.
2: I'm going to go with Miggy here. Um, okay. I, I Yeah, and, and, I, and I understand what you're saying about the moment. A lot of guys had moments though during the two Marlins runs. I mean, Mike Lowell had the big home run in Wrigley. Um, I mean, Alex Gonzalez had a huge home run and walk um, off but, walk off against the Yankees. Yeah. Yeah. And and Cabrera had a moment, um, you know, I mean, yeah. hitting clean, hitting cleanup as a rookie who was called up midseason and hitting a home run off a roided up Roger Clemens uh, the opposite way um, in that in that game. And then, you know, as Dave said, sustaining the success here, um, you know, one of the worst trades in baseball history, obviously one of the worst trades in sports history uh, with him going up to Detroit and then continuing to become, you know, arguably the best right handed hitter of his era. Uh, up in Detroit, to me, it has to be Cabrera. I know, you know, Dave, when we look back at Cabrera, it's funny because when he was here, there were criticisms of him too. Like everybody was always on his weight. I remember that well, Um, you know, that he wasn't serious enough and all that, but the guy could just flat out hit. And I, uh, to me, it's gotta be him. I think for the Panthers, it's tougher. Luongo has um, the sustained success, and, and obviously he's become such a big force in the community. And you look at what, what you know everything with Parkland this past year, he's a great face for the franchise. He's playing at a high level late in his career. Bure had the flash, you know, where he was just an elite, elite guy for a couple of years. I might have to go with Van Beesbrook, though, because you look at that, that, you know, the one team that had success – Beezer was the face of that team. Now we may not agree with everything he said post-retirement and some other things that have happened, but um, you know, they had a bunch of grinders on that team, but their whole identity was winning a bunch of two, one games. And, and you know, the most famous game in Panther history, other than maybe the Billy Lindsay goal, you know, might've been the one nothing loss in game four of the Stanley cup finals to the avalanche in overtime. And that was one of the best goaltended games I'd ever seen um, with him and Patrick Waugh going at each other. So I'd probably, I might go with Beezer there, but honestly, to me, it's it's Cabrera on this one overall, and I I, I think uh, I think by a pretty wide margin.
3: As as an joiner, can these teams start winning? All of them, all of them <laughs> South please. We need some teams <laughs> to start winning down here, don't we? I mean, I'm sitting here listening and thinking, I and I agree with you, Ethan. But you know, Van Beesbrook probably would be. Um, you know, he 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 was one guy who. Picked up a a very fascinating team, but he, he was the one guy who, who who rose above that with his talent. But my God, it's been twenty two years since that, and and uh, please somebody start winning again. Help a poor sports writer out,
2: huh? help help a poor sports podcaster out. Uh, yeah, we, we we need a little <laughs> bit too here, Dave. We're, uh, we're it's it's tough to get like All twelve bucks. It's tough to get twelve podcasts off I've, the ground. When I've, I've, I've talked
0: about James Johnson's contract forty-eight times in the last six uh, months. For the
2: love of God, can someone win? Uh, <laughs> may, may, maybe, maybe he'll be the next guy on the list. All right, let's move to let's move to. It's not a franchise per se. Let's move to a program that has done some winning and actually
1: support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. of
2: the ones we're talking about might be the best position to win again, which is the Canes. And uh, whereas with the Panthers and Marlins, I had to combine them to come up with four guys uh, with this one. It was a little harder to leave guys off the list. Um, Some names that I threw on the poll, and I can tell you this is pretty much a dead heat between a couple of guys right now. Uh, Michael Irvin, Ed Reed, uh, Sean Taylor's on there. Ray Lewis is on there. Jim Kelly, Bernie Kosar, um, uh, just just a ton of names. I mean, that doesn't even get to maybe the best backfield in in in, uh, in collegiate history, and, and all the other players that they've had. For you, Dave, who is number one?
3: Well, my number one would be Vinny testaverdi and and I, I get he didn't win like everybody else. No, and, you and you can't
0: have that Fiesta Bowl I, I, and be number one. Come on,
3: there you go. I know, <laughs> I know that's going to come up, but you know he was the First, you know, he won the Heisman. He was the first uh, pick in the NFL draft. He was at that moment, if we're talking in the moment, to me, he was a star. Now, I, I really don't know how you separate all these people out, though, because, you know, uh, Ray Lewis wasn't here till the end. Michael Irvin left a year early, um, and, and then you look at – you know, there, there were times they were having five, six players drafted in the first round. How do you separate some of those guys? So um, I'm not going to argue too hard about any of them, but it, it just when you say, OK, who stands out? To me, having lived here at the time, I, I, I would pick Vinny.
0: OK, so let, let's kind of let's pose the question this way. When you think of the University of Miami football program, you think of Dave.
3: I think of, I don't think of one individual player. Do okay. you? I mean, I, I that, See, that's a hard that's a hard thing in college, right? right? So you, you you tell me, convince me who I yeah, should be. So thinking.
0: so so when I so when I sort of think of it, and and Ethan will will kind of get your perspective in a second. When when you talk about people that embody the program, that embody sort of the the culture of it, and all these different ways in which it's it's been portrayed in media now and in documentaries, I think of Ed Reed. I think Ed Reed is the player that most yep. that for me most typifies who, who what the program is. I don't believe he was that highly touted as a recruit. I could be wrong there, but like
3: he no he, he was the last guy they took. In fact, someone right. turned down a scholarship and they offered it to Ed Reed. That's and how it, he came Was, to was he
0: track? Was he track as well? Was he one of the guys that that took a track scholarship and then played football on it?
3: You know, I, I'm not sure about that, but okay. I know I know he was almost an afterthought in, in, right. in that recruiting class.
0: Right, but like just sort of a guy who, and then kind of you sort of wave the flag in the NFL too. When I think of the U, I think of Ed Reed. So uh, for, for none other than intangible reason, I think Ken Dorsey can get real consideration if we're talking about, you know, as a college player only. But for me, I do think the NFL matters because the University of Miami does get viewed through the prism by which it sends players to the NFL, that it is an NFL factory. And I do think that that, because a lot of the fan base here in Miami are necessarily students, they're not. it's not like a college town where you're only wrapped up in the collegiate aspects of these players. You are wrapped up in what they do in the league. There's a reason why there's a pro-Kane's Twitter account that follows what these guys do when they get to the NFL, and that's a, a legitimate part of the identity of the program. So as much as you want to sort of say, well, Ken Dorsey was an incredible incredible college quarterback and what he did at the University of Miami was incredible in in taking you know that that program to a championship. It does deserve credit and then you know Steve Walsh and Bernie Kosar and and, and, and all these different quarterbacks, the Gino Toretta that, that were there. I do think that that what they did in the NFL matters. So I'm gonna go for Ed Reed here as my choice.
3: Yeah I all right, yeah, I'm I think... changing my answer. I'm changing my answer to Michael <laughs> Irvin then. Okay. Okay. You convinced me. Michael Irvin between you know the the nickname, the playmaker, the way he played on the field, and the personality—not only at Miami, but after in the aftermath and the pros and the talent. Uh, quick answer, Michael Irvin, for me.
2: Yeah, see, I think you've got to separate this into two categories, and and I don't think it's a pro college thing. I think it's a quarterback and everybody else thing. So I you, you mentioned a ton of those quarterbacks, a lot of whom were up for Heisman trophies. Look, you can make a case for Bernie Kosar, like that mm-hmm. was. Uh, that was a huge breakthrough. You know, Jim Kelly was the first great quarterback that they had. Um, so there's a bunch of guys that you can, and as you as you mentioned, Dorsey had the longevity. So I think there's the quarterbacks. I'm going to put all of them aside. To me, it comes down to three guys, honestly. And you've mentioned two of them. To me, it's it's Ed Reed, it's Ray Lewis, or it's Michael Irvin. It, it's one of those three because they embody the program. And if you're going to talk about pro careers too. You got to throw Ray in the mix. I don't believe that he was there when the, when the program did any winning. And now, obviously, taking
0: the program through the difficult stretch that they're in, so he was there. Uh, he left in '96, so he wouldn't have been mm-hmm. a, a part of any of the winning teams. And obviously, that was a hugely difficult time in the program. But I, I do think you'd have to play to have you'd you'd have to play for at least one of the championship teams.
2: Yeah, I know. I can understand that. And so I'm going to make the case between one of your two guys, because those would sort of be my two finalists would be, uh, would be Ed Reed or Michael Irvin. And although I was leaning Ed Reed, I'm going to go with Dave on this one, um, because I, I just think when you talk about who embodies sort of the attitude of the program the mm-hmm. most, not that Ed Reed does not, but the, the he absolutely does. But the one who embodies it the most is Mike Irvin, and because it wasn't just in college, he played basically for the pro version of the Canes in the NFL. Also. I mean, that's what the Dallas Cowboys were during his era. Whereas Ed Reed's team in Baltimore, uh, even with Ray Lewis, i had a lot of that, but Dallas, I mean, Dallas had the white house. Okay. I mean, they had, I mean, Dallas was, I mean, that was the renegade team in the NFL during that period of time, coached by, um, you know, a former Canes coach. And, And so to me, uh, it's Michael Irvin first, and, and I think Ed Reed also. And also Michael Irvin has, has sort of remained a fixture in the community and uh, some of the things he's done in Fort Lauderdale. I, I would put Irvin first. So right now as we get into our, our final category here, um, the, the people who have advanced, I think, if you go by majority vote here, are Marino, Wade, Cabrera, and I'm going to go with Irvin. And so the fifth one here, we're going to open it up beyond players. And this is owners. This is executives, and this is coaches. And the names that I put on the list here, and I'm sure Dave will have some others, Pat Riley, Don Shula, Wayne Huizinga, uh, Joe Robbie belongs on there. Mickey Harrison obviously belongs on there with some of what um, he's done recently. Jimmy Johnson, more so for the Hurricanes days than for the Dolphins days. And I think you have to include Howard Schnellenberger on there too, because that was really the start of the Canes program as we know it. I'm probably missing someone, Dave, but... Is there anybody that stands out to you besides the two that are winning the poll right now, which would be Shula and Riley?
3: Well, if we're talking influences in South Florida, Heisinger owned everything <laughs> at, at one time, including a day before Mickey Harrison and, and his claws to uh, take back the heat. He, he owned the heat. They had a press conference down there and his brother-in-law, Whit Hudson was announced as the owner and so you know at that point he owned every team in south florida and the regional sports uh, tv network down here so um influence there if we're going by influence or or impact alone it'd be that if if you're talking who who made the imprint on south florida for sports joe Robbie brought the franchise here and then don shula really took it took uh, south florida and sports to a national level for the first time and 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 made the dolphins a a national franchise.
0: Wayne Hyzinga for basically solidifying Miami as a major pro sports market, although it hasn't always lived up to that reputation. Having all four teams, hopefully we'll have Major League Soccer soon. I I'm, I feel more and more confident about that by the day. A major college football program. Miami is one of the signature sports cities in America, even though it doesn't necessarily win often enough. But I think Wayne can, can can take a huge amount of credit for that. I think the stewardship of Don Shula of the Dolphins uh, sort of announced Miami's arrival on the sports scene in this country. I think Howard Schnellenberger's tenure in charge of the University of Miami created one of the greatest college football programs ever, and he deserves a massive amount of credit for that. And, I, you know, for me, Miami's a blue-blood college football program only because of him. I don't know. I mean, maybe someone could have eventually done the work that he did, but I feel like everyone is following in his footsteps. Pat Riley for what he did and really – sort of having Miami arrive as a basketball city. So, for me, there's any number of choices. I would slightly lean Wayne Huizenga for creating the culture of Miami sports, creating Miami as a destination sports city for a lot of teams, for a lot of leagues. Now, some of that was the way that Miami was changing demographically, but I think his legacy is that Miami is going to have or South Florida is going to have five major professional sports teams and a major college football program. Now, he's not responsible for that, but just sort of being one of the few cities in America that can say that.
2: Yeah. You know, I think I would feel better about that if those franchises that he had and I'm not taking anything away from him, because obviously, like you said, I mean, he had to bring the Panthers and the Marlins here. But as we discussed earlier, you know, in terms of the level of success that they've sustained, it, it has not. Been there. And I'm not saying that's his fault, but again, he, he did bail on the Marlins. Um, I think rightly so as, as we look back at it, but he did bail on the Marlins after the first championship. I mean, you can make an argument that if Wayne had sort of stuck it out, then maybe that franchise's direction goes a better way. And there is no John Henry and there is no Jeffrey Luria and there, there, you know, maybe there wouldn't have been the additional fire sales and maybe baseball really makes it in this town in a way that it hasn't. And as far as the Panthers, I know that was more of a hobby for him. Um, He sort of fell in love with the team during the 96 run, but it wasn't something he was really well versed in, you know, but again, there was not the sustained success of that particular team. I mean, to me, you know, again, great credit to Schnellenberger, great credit to Robbie, not only for the team, but also the stadium, which, um, you know, he, he put up his own money for, but to me, this is really two people Um, it's Shula or it's Riley. And I I think when you look at this, you have to say, all right, um, is it more impressive for what Shula did at that period of time in the NFL um, to have obviously the perfect season to have the two championships um, to, you know, let's be honest, not be able to sustain. I'm not saying you're going to sustain perfect success, but to be able to sustain great success Uh, In terms of getting to the Super Bowl repeatedly, especially when you had, you know, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Uh, or is it a guy who has made the playoffs 18 times during his 23 seasons, won three championships, brought the greatest player in the world here, brought one of the greatest attractions in Shaq, um, you know, in basketball here. Um, also, he may have wanted to draft Chris Kamen. I know he always denies that, but, uh, but he did, he, <laughs> but, but, but he did, he did draft Dwayne Wade. Um, and obviously, you know, he's in our final category here uh, to me, it's, it's Pat. Uh, I, I, and, and that's you know, coming from someone you know, I've, you know, written critical columns about Pat at times, and I hated his 2017 off but I, I just look at that level of success And to do it in a multi-sport town, like when Shula was here, it was the Dolphins, right? And then, you know, the Hurricanes emerged, and then the other teams, you know, were born in 88, 93, and 93. But Pat has taken a franchise that was really going nowhere and made it the franchise that young people in this market care about the most. Um, People under 40 are primarily Heat fans, and I know that changes if the Dolphins ever have success, but riley did that he made basketball matter in this market and there have been some missteps but i think if you look at the overall record uh, to me it has to be pat
3: to me it's a it's a if we're talking shula or riley that's a generational question the older people are going to pick shula and uh, anybody under what 40 45 is going to pick riley
2: We'll get back to our episode here with Dave Hyde in a second, but we want to introduce you to another of the sponsors of the five reasons sports network. And it actually is a sponsor that is responsible for some of the other sponsors on the five reasons sports network. And that is spacewolf.com, two F's at the end S P A C E W O L ff.com and this basically works two different ways if you are a business and you have something that you want to advertise whether it's a podcast whether you're even a school and you want to advertise um at your soccer field you want people to be able to put banners there uh You can basically go on this website and post your space and people will come on there and buy your space for whatever it is that you price it at. And vice versa, if you are looking to basically advertise your business somewhere, you can find all kinds of different spaces and it's all over the map. I'm telling you again, podcasts, radio stations, over urinals, okay, in bars, on coasters, on t-shirts, on anything. You got to check out spacewolf.com. They've made the experience much easier for both sides. Very, very streamlined. We're happy we're working with them. We think you should work with them, too. So, again, check it out, SpaceWolf.com. Again, that's dot com. And now, back to Dave Hyde. I want to ask you this, Dave. I, I went to an event, um, God, about three, four years ago. It was at the stadium, and Riley and Schuler were supposed to be together, both speaking. I don't know if you went to this particular event. Um, Don was too sick to come. And so Pat ended up, you know, sort of, you know, commanding the room there and, and told some great stories. I uh, was very respectful about Don. I know they've had some interactions over the years, but you would probably know this better than anybody. How much have have they communicated over the years? Because I've always kind of found that that fascinating because they, they approach things very differently, but similarly in some ways. And and obviously, you know, are both titans of the sport uh, in two two different sports are, are you aware of sort of any communication between them to yeah be i don't involved?
3: i don't think they i don't think they had any great friendship or anything but out, uh, there was obviously respect for what they accomplished and all that but they were all each of them were in their own worlds to the point and you know pat isn't a you know he doesn't have a lot of friends inside basketball or he didn't until i think he's reached out a little more in recent years but um, you know, the one thing I do remember is like I want to say ninety six, ninety seven. There was a Make a Wish um, banquet in which both of them showed up with Doug McLean, who at the time had just taken the Panthers to the Stanley Cup final, and Jim Leland, who uh, whether I can't, I, I, I think the Marlins had just won ninety seven, so it was probably ninety seven, and and at that time. We were riding high in South Florida. You, you think of those four names Shula, Riley, McLean, again, just been the Stanley Cup finals and Jim Leland. That was blue blood of South Florida sports. And, and, uh, um, you know, who, who knew at the time it would be the high point?
2: You keep getting back to how bad it's gotten. I I, I totally understand you uh, on that. Who was the Canes coach at that time? So that would have been '97. Would that have been Dennis at that stage? I'm trying to remember. No, it
3: would have been Butch at that time. And they were re re uh, they were climbing back up from the NCAA sanctions. So okay. it, you know that was one of the rare times in the in the, the you know 20 year period where Miami football wasn't good.
2: Um, one more before we get to the sort of our finale here, where we pick one from from the guys. Um, how do you evaluate uh, Jimmy Johnson's legacy? Because I, I find it complicated. Because obviously, um, you know, we we talk about Howard kind of built the program, but that Jimmy took it to kind of unprecedented uh heights and then the dolphins thing like it's a mixed bag like we talk a lot about zach and jason i mean those were his players um that he he drafted but he didn't sustain it didn't draft moss you know drafted john avery we can go through a bunch of that kind of lost interest uh was day trading a lot and doing other things by the end of his his tenure here with the dolphins what is jimmy johnson's legacy to you
3: to me it's great legacy and in fact it's got better with time if a Dolphin coach right now would go to playoffs three and f- three times in four years and win two off playoff games, we would have parades on Biscayne Boulevard. And yet Jimmy, when he did that, and, and remember, he took over a team that was bloated salary cap. He redid the salary cap. He, As you mentioned, not just Jason and uh, Zach, but he had two Pro Bowl cornerbacks Pat and Pat Sertan and Sam Madison. And he left that to Dave Wanstead, and it just slowly crumbled in, in, over the following years. But um, you know, you know, at the time, and I was right there at the forefront saying, "Well, Jimmy, well, Jimmy failed here." And yet, you look back. Okay, he didn't win big like he did in Dallas or with the University of Miami. But if that's the the, the worst part of his career, going to the playoffs three times in four years and winning two playoff games, that's in retrospect, and especially what's happened in the 20 years since, isn't nearly as bad as uh, we made it out to be.
2: Yeah, and I think a lot of that uh, got played up because of the relationship with Dan too. I I, I feel like if that had been smoother, and I go back to talk radio during that time where every day it was Danny and Jimmy and Jimmy and Danny and Danny and Jimmy. and, And so I think people who were fond of Dan didn't really like the way that Jimmy approached things then. But when you look back at that, I'm not sure you take away all of Dan's audible power uh, at the time, but the idea of trying to build around a running game when Dan was declining—I mean, it did make sense on on the surface. Um, and they actually got a thousand yards out of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was you know not an yeah. elite back. So, uh, you know, they they got close, but they can never uh, kind of get past it. All right, so we've gotten through our five categories here. Um, I need I need Winningham to weigh in on. Well, Winningham did weigh in on this actually. So so Chris has picked Heizinga for this category. I picked Riley. Dave, who advances
1: here?
3: Well, to me, i go with Heisinger just from the standpoint of founding baseball and hockey, um, pro franchises down here, owning the Dolphins, um, briefly owning the Heat in one of the weirder scenarios. And um, so we're talking influence on on South Florida. It would be that if you're talking the biggest winner, um, then to me it's a toss-up, Riley, or, or... Don Shula and, and I'm sure both would defer to the other just because of you know you know it, it, again that's a generational question you know Shula defined South Florida at a time where it, where it really was nothing at, from a sports standpoint nationally and and yet Riley delivered in the last uh, 25 years or so so many of the highest moments of uh, an otherwise at times bleak landscape that. Um, And then the four years with LeBron were just, uh, um, you know, it was like a circus every night. A a meaningless night of a game against Milwaukee on the road in February was something you had to watch because you never knew what would happen. And, And, you know, that was on Riley's watch and his creation at some point.
0: I was so close to changing my answer to Shula, so I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad Dave agreed with me. <laughs> no,
3: actually,
2: that, actually, actually, Dave, that random night in Milwaukee, I think John Henson had 18 rebounds. Uh, he was the there latest random scrub Heat killer. Um, yeah, I, guys started doing things against the Heat they'd never done before. Like Paul Millsap suddenly became a three point shooter <laughs> that he then carried out for the rest of his career, uh, based on what he did against that team. Wayne Ellington uh, basically started his career by killing the Heat uh, repeatedly. You
3: no. know, the only thing, the only. Thing thing uh, in this department against Riley working against him here is he he was such a big name when he arrived he he won championships with the Showtime Lakers he was a huge name in New York took him to the finals whereas Shula's Shula came here as a loser he was a two-time loser lost to the Lombard championship game to Lombardi lost to WeView Bank and the Jets in 69 and he came with a opposite reputation of a, why are the why are the dolphins going after Don Shula? He can't win the big one. So, in some respects, Shula really is defined here, his whole career as a winner, and his Hall of Fame standing is defined here. Whereas Riley really belongs to the greater basketball world more than just South Florida.
0: Wait, so, so Don Shula was viewed as a loser? I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. He was 71-23 and 23 as Ravens coach. Like, who are these Skip Baylesses of the 1960s that were wait, calling wait, Don wait, wait, wait.
2: Shula a loser? Wait, you, that's you, very you, millennial. You, remember- you just said Ravens coach. That's very right, millennial. Oh,
0: oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Baltimore Colts. The, uh, Shula,
3: you talked to him the night before um, the Super Bowl. He's actually a three-time loser because he lost to Lombardi, lost to the colts then they lost uh the first time they went to the super bowl with the dolphins they lost to dallas he he did not sleep the night before the super bowl it's stressing out over his legacy and all that he, he he was really worked up over that and then and the, he had the knock he can't win the big one so I, I i get how look winning changed all that but there was a time uh, up to the time they won it with the perfect season in '72, where there were questions about Don Shula and you know what his standing and his legacy would be.
2: So we go back to that period of time. If Twitter had been available at that stage, uh, Don Shula would <laughs> would would have tweeted like LeBron did like LeBron did during the 2011 finals in Dallas at three in the morning. And I know this because I was at a Whataburger um, that he tweeted "now or never." So that's what Don Shula would have tweeted. <laughs> Uh, before <laughs> I, would,
3: I, I would have loved to not see Don Shula in the Twitter era.
2: <laughs> well, well, Eric Spolster has only tweeted one time, so I, I, I kind of feel like that's what Shula would have done. Right, let's get to our last part here. So here's who's advanced. Uh, let's get through this quickly. But basically, we've got Dwayne Wade, Dan Marino, Miguel Cabrera, Michael Irvin, and Wayne Heizinga. That's our final five here on the Five Reasons podcast. Chris, I will go to you first. Who's your selection?
0: <laughs> I feel like Dwayne Wade is is the answer that is probably going to win on the polling. I'm going to go for Marino. <laughs> I feel like Dan Marino is sort of, again, it's one of those where it's how old you are. I feel like because uh, football has lost its place a little bit in Miami, uh, because basketball has risen, because Dan, you know, Dan Marino never won the Super Bowl, that I feel like his place is a little bit lost to history. He revolutionized the game, like Utah and revolutionized the Dolphins. Dave, you mentioned earlier about how the style of the Dolphins changed under Dan Marino, the style of the league changed. And I feel like a lot of what he did ushered in an era of rules changes around the league. So I do think that Dan Marino, I feel like his place is a little bit lost to history. And I feel like older people must want to be sort of clinging to their turf and be like, no, Dan Marino is still the greatest. And despite the fact that I'm the millennial on the podcast, I agree with them. I think Dan Marino is the biggest figure in the history of this market and continues to be so. And it is only more strongly immortalized than his role in the movies as as Dan Marino and Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. He is an <laughs> all time icon of this area. Dave, <laughs>
3: uh, I'll go. I'll go with Shula just from a couple of things I said. Before. Oh, wait, 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 wait,
2: wait! You can't, you can't go with Shula. We didn't, I can't go with Shula.
3: Final...
2: No, because you picked oh, Ace you, you picked, picked, you, no, you picked, picked Huizinga over. Okay. <laughs> What's the
3: question again? No, the question is uh, okay. most influential. Uh, you uh, went with Huizinga as the most, most influential. I go, I go, I go with Huizinga just from everything I said before, owning all four teams, owning the, the regional sports TV thing. He had a monopoly on anything sports down here. And um, the one turn I remember talking to him once, and he goes, all my business decisions really worked out well. My sports decisions, eh, not so well. So <laughs> that, that's the truth, you know. He, he, as you said, Ethan, the one thing holding him back is he, he plied money into it. He hired the best people. Um, he did so many right things. He didn't win.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Dwayne, and so we're going to have a split decision here. And, and the reason I, I go with Dwayne, and with you know, again. Great respect for Marino, uh, who would be second here, and then I think Riley and Shula uh, you know, would, would be next on my list. But, uh, but for me, it's Dwayne because Dwayne has sort of, to me, come to symbolize sort of Miami's growth and change in this period of time. And I think as we've seen Miami sort of gain even more of a platform as kind of this sexy city and South Beach and all that, like Dwayne has embodied all of that, um, and and we've seen him grow here, and, and and I think you know winning the the three championships, and then also. You know, even if it ends now, uh, the way he came back this year and and really revitalized uh, what was kind of a dormant team and a dormant situation and and the, the, the just, I mean, I could just tell you from the, the numbers on our podcast, like when he had that game two against Philadelphia, like our numbers went way up. He just if, he we, means if we if we were, if we were
0: podcasting in the '90s, Marino numbers would have killed. We oh, have absolutely, killed.
2: no, 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 no question about that. Well, probably not after the Jacksonville game, but yes, uh, probably not after sixty-two-seven. But, but I. I just think when you look at this uh, this period of time, Dwayne has symbolized this. And then the other thing, whether you want to credit him or you want to credit Riley, um, the reality is that Shaq came here because of Dwayne, because he wanted to play with Dwayne, that, that that was what made this attractive. And LeBron came here because of Dwayne. And so you're talking about the two other Big figures in that sport, which has become, you know, sort of the predominant sport down here. Again, I know it changes if the Dolphins win, but for the younger generation, it's the Heat. Uh, Dwayne embodies all of that, and so I would go with Dwayne. So we're going to put this up on a poll. Our final three here: Heisinger. Marino and Dwayne. I, I know who's going to win this, Chris, because of our audience. I know I'm
3: going to lose this one.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, yeah, that's you, you go for the guy in the suit in the office, uh, Dave. Not going to um, win. Not going to you, win you're, that. You're, you're, you're not going to win that. But, Dave, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, we didn't get a chance to plug your book uh, during this. We should have done it during the hurricane section, but just appropriate for a, a South Florida sports writer, um, your latest book out in paperback is about yeah. the six, is about the 1968 Ohio State Buckeyes. So all of you uh, Miami sports fans, uh, run out, find Terry Porter somewhere. Get to Amazon uh, straight away. Get to Amazon (laughs) straight away and buy that book. Obviously, you can read Dave and the Sun Sentinel. Follow him at Dave Hyde Sports and hear him on WQAM. Dave, thanks for joining us today.
3: All right. Thanks, Ethan. Chris,